State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this second season episode, we speak with Colm Dolan, CEO and founder of Publift about increasing advertising revenue. They're also the only Google certified publishing partner based in Australia and New Zealand. Let's begin. Hi everyone. This is a special episode of our podcast. We're actually in the offices of Publift. Um, I'll get Colm to do a bit of an introduction and background, but it's pretty exciting. It's our first sort of one-on-one face-to-face podcast. So, hi Colm, how, how are you? Very good, we're here. Yeah, really good. Delighted that you can join us in the office today. Likewise. Yeah, because um, I think we're going to be talking about a pretty interesting topic and it's something that, although we're sort of hearing the negative side, I think we have, as when we're trying to develop sustainable business models, we have to look at new ways of doing things. And I think advertising and even programmatic advertising is something that's still not being properly leveraged. So uh, before we go down into the topic itself, we're speaking about how to increase advertiser revenue today. And before we go into that specifically, I'll just pass it to you just to give a background about yourself and just around Publift and what you guys are doing at the moment. Yeah, sure. Thanks for here. My name is Colin Dolan. I'm from, originally from Ireland, the west of Ireland, a small town called Portumna in County Galway. I've been living in Australia for eight years. I've got a wife and two kids, just have a six-year-old, six-week-old son, Luke, who's our second son. My first son of two and a half, Keen, so that's what keeps me busy. So I mainly work and spend time with the family at the moment, and I think I'll be in that area for a couple of years now so but it's very enjoyable very enjoyable yeah came to australia eight years ago my background before that was working for google in dublin and Mountview as well came over here and worked for telstra advertising networks selling nrl and afl to advertising agencies after that i worked at a small startup that didn't go too successfully had to liquidate that business over here myself, which was a real learning path. I had to sell a couple of businesses and got to know how to be a director of a business without fully knowing what I was doing. After that, I always had an inclination that publishers needed some tech experience or someone to guide them to know what tech to implement, what networks to implement, and what strategy that were advantageous to the publishers. Even when I worked at, at Google, you always kind of said for publishers to implement stuff that would benefit Google. And it was the same with a lot of other networks. So after a lot of time, I just had a look into, after my time at, at that startup in particular, I went down the road of starting a, a startup, maxed out my credit card for six months. My girlfriend, now my wife, paid my rent, I rented out a room, so it was, that's where it all started, and now five and a half years later, here I am, having a a business of 20 people, finally profitable this year, and yeah, really enjoying it and loving it, and the the best thing about it is that we're helping small publishers increase their revenue so they can invest more into their content strategy, traffic growth, and making a difference in, in their lives, I think. That's a pretty, yeah, it's, you've really put yourself on the line and you really made it to public what it is today. So 
just specifically for PubLift, I guess, how would you describe PubLift in a few words? PubLift, basically what we do is implement ad tech for small and medium-sized publishers, ad tech that they don't really have the expertise to implement themselves, time, expertise, or knowledge. So we basically, and I often give this analogy to, to publishers, it's like for accounting for us, I'm not very good on finance, so we outsource our, our finance. It's the same thing with a publisher. Publisher is very good at creating content, driving traffic, ads is a complex ecosystem. So that's where we fit in. We really want to outsource the ad management for our publishers so they can concentrate on, on growing their business. Very good. Um, you know, I guess we've all heard about the doom and gloom with the, the decline of advertising. What's your opinion of it? And what do, you, what do you think the state of play is at the moment? I'm quite an optimistic person, so I'm always optimistic about the state of publishing. Look, I think it's been an interesting couple of years. I think there's been so much going on, but I think you always have to go back to creating good content. I think we've seen over the last few years, there's been a lot of websites that have come on board, like that have just gone massive because of social websites like the Lad Bible, these kind of stuff. Are they creating real, real value? I don't know. I think real value is, is it's probably the state of journalism as a whole probably reflects the, the state of people and how they consume content. You have an influx of, of content, you have an influx of the amount of time people spend on their phone, spend on their desktop looking at social media, looking at different web pages. But I think it's a in a way, a, a dumbing down of society has happened over the last few years in that we are consuming more and more content, but are we actually really consuming it? Because if you go to a, a web page from social media, you might look at the web page for, for two minutes. And I think especially the younger generation, and even I myself, it's very hard to concentrate for 10 minutes on an article. And that's because of the, the ecosystem we live in now. We're so connected to our mobile phone. We're looking for that instant gratification hit from Facebook, Instagram, these kind of things. So I think it's changed so much. But I think where it's going in terms of publishing and you've so many different websites over the last few years kind of struggling, the likes of Mashable, Mike.com, these kind of guys, Vice, all these guys were really the new age publishers over the last 10 years and got a lot of capital to increase that and BuzzFeed and these kind of guys, but they've struggled over the last couple of years. And it goes back to the ecosystem of creating content that you can monetize and have a viable business. I think publishers now probably have to diversify a bit more and the increase in, in paywalls, what the Guardian have done over the last couple of years has been very, very interesting and very successful. And they've tried something new and everyone thought it was the stupidest idea ever. And they've made a success. I think they're profitable last year for the first time in recent years. That's fine. Yeah. So I think it, it all goes back to the advice I always give to, to publishers is focus on user experience, focus on creating good content. I think publishers have struggled over the last few years, especially with but advertising and influx of programmatic has not been beneficial to publishers. It's been very beneficial to advertisers because, because they're just getting a lot more return on investment. 
And especially in Australia, I think it's very hard to create content. I think the average publisher, online publisher in Australia maybe gets between 10 and 15 grand a year, whereas the average wage in Australia is 78 grand a year. So the, the worry I may have is, is content and quality content. And it's a big challenge, I think, with the likes of the social media, Google, Facebook, these kind of guys, and the universities and educating people on you know, freedom of speech going out there, putting their, their, their content out there. So it's, I, I think it's a very interesting space, but I do think that in the last couple of years, even the political ecosystem, you know, in the, the far right movement of the US and we're seeing it in Europe and even in Australia as well, I think there's probably going to be a lot of, there has been a lot of protests kind of voting and that kind of stuff. But I'm really optimistic about the young people. The young people in even Australia have been out protesting about climate change and giving the hands of these people to actually create good content about what's happening. And I think what maybe is sad in Australia specifically is the likes of Fairfax, these kind of guys losing journalists and losing the ability to report on an incident in Blacktown or something like that, or a, a criminal kind of thing in Blacktown. People just don't know about it. Like I cycled to work last week and there was a cyclist that got really, really badly injured on Anzac Parade. And later that night, I looked up online, searched for it, couldn't find it. All I found was, I think, on the Telegraph, where I had to pay to view the content. And I couldn't believe this was a major crash and everyone was talking about her work and I could barely see it. So that's maybe sad. And I, I don't know what what they've done in, in France. I think they've taken some journalism and some of the, the big mastheads and they've actually, the government now runs those mastheads. So maybe there's something, that intervention that has to be done in other countries similar to that. You you do want freedom of speech, obviously, but you do want that quality investigative journalism. Um, so maybe that's a long winded of a lot of ideas. Yeah, I think I think we've spoken sort of end of mind first, and you know, one of the things I think we can touch on within that is how you, we spoke about the lack of quality of content. Do you think that's also contributed is that is there a correlation with quality of content and the decline in adsense cpms and, and what do you think what are your thoughts around that yeah i think it, again it's advertising is, as well as publishing has gone through a change over the last couple of years a massive change and again we, we kind of talk about the duopoly of, of facebook and google which have, like i think some statistics from the us last year of 80 cents out of every new dollar spent on advertising is goes to Google or Facebook. So this has changed what advertisers are willing to pay and the influx of programmatic advertising as well. Like for instance, a, a publisher, a small publisher, maybe five or 10 years ago could get 30, $40 CPMs based on knowing an advertiser and doing a one-on-one -on -one direct deal with them. Now everything has gone programmatic and they're just not getting that $30, $40 CPM because advertisers can reach an audience anywhere. They can reach an audience if they want to reach a 30, 35-year-old male. They can just, they, they know from 
logging on to Facebook or logging out to AdWords, they can just target that on those platforms, but elsewhere as well, rather than taking a, a punt on that they're going to be reading the SNH. So your question on declining kind of AdSense CPMs, I think publishers have just seen that. I think there's just probably been an influx of content more than anything else and changing behaviors of people and young people especially. So there is more content being consumed, but where is social media in that content? Social media has taken up a variety and a very high percentage of what people are actually looking at on a daily basis. So if you take that there's more eyeballs going to social media, and I think this week was really interesting that Instagram have launched their e-commerce platform. Yeah. We've got about 10 or 15 e-commerce. Like Adidas and Nike are going to be, you're going to be able to purchase straight up Instagram. I think this is pretty mind-blowing when, when you think about the, the influencers and the influencers that over the last couple of years are on the celebrity chef shows and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like they've got the power now because they're just, they can influence so many people and can, can monetize that. So I think that has been a shift there. There's also been a shift to mobile, especially in mobile first countries like in, in Asia, Southeast Asia, it's all mobile. I think Australia has been a bit slower to come to to, to play with mobile because a lot, a lot of searches have still been done on desktop, but most publishers now have a mobile first strategy. And the, the thing about mobile as well is there has been just a, a leeway of people purchasing. Purchases are probably still done a lot on desktop and that transformation is still happening. We always kind of heard of in digital of the age, the year of the mobile. I think that's been and gone, but still do advertisers put more and more of the budget to mobile? I, I don't think they have shifted that much yet. So that's what's happening. You get a lot more people consuming content on mobile and mobile CPMs are not as high as desktop. I think that's where, where the CPMs have, have possibly fallen down as well. It's interesting to it's interesting to note as well that um, last month PwC's expenditure report came out and IAB published some of the findings from that and they were saying that display advertising actually went up 17% in spend. And um, there has been more of a shift towards video content and, and stuff and, and et cetera. So, and they're also saying that it's, it's around the consumption because there's more consumption. So I guess, do you think that's also touches upon the declining CPMs as well? That just does all, all those things sort of come together? Do you yeah, think? Or? I think it, specifically AdSense CPMs maybe have in decline, but I think AdSense has, has changed their product over the last years. And I think Google have maybe gone through a period of reevaluating as a business and, and a company. I think if you look at it, that if you look at it from Google's perspective, I think they have an 87% margin on their owned and operated products. And by their owned and operated products, I mean YouTube, Gmail, search. And they're margin on programmatic is 32%, 30%. So it makes sense for them to maybe shift that way. And in terms of display advertising, header bidding 
has been a massive change in ecosystem and industry over the last couple of years and a massive impact on our publishers and our business as well. But Google, if you look at the majority of impressions that were going to Google over the last few years, has, has declined. Mm-hmm. So publishers are getting more inventory from other suppliers rather than Google. So there's just a bit more competition in the market. So I think they have maybe as a business shifted towards more search and, and YouTube specifically. I think you're also telling, like before we actually were here, I think you guys were also mentioning around some updates that we would did as well, recent product changes and how that's impacted the yeah. ecosystem as well. I think so. that's been a response to what's happened over the last few years, Google, and the change to, to, to first party pricing which has been really interesting. I think a lot of other exchanges have shifted the first price over the last couple of years, and Google now have followed suit, and it's going to be in play by the end of the year. And the impact that's going to have on publishers is, is going to be pretty interesting. And hopefully it's going to see an increase in, in publisher revenue until advertisers get more sophisticated on, on how they're going to buy But again, you said display advertising is still going up, and I think that's... The thing to be very optimistic on for a publisher is that, yes, maybe overall revenue is, is going down, but if, from a direct I.O. basis, it's, it's maybe going down. But on a programmatic standpoint, it's, it's still going up. And especially if I'm concentrating on Australia, is that like if you're still producing good content, it's a harder barrier to actually be a publisher now than it was maybe before because there's not that much money in it. So if you've got a publishing business already set up, my advice to people is always focus on the technology and scale and see if there's an area because there's, there's so much opportunity, especially in, in the Asian market or especially in, in, in any other market, you've got a global audience. As an online publisher, you really have a global audience. I think we can even take some examples of where publishers are going down now, they're going down maybe more an e-commerce kind of way. I think I was just reading, reading last week, Dennis Publishing in the UK, who I used to manage when I was working at Google, it was really interesting. They all have a variety of magazines and, and that kind of stuff, but they've actually seen over the last few years their revenue increase because they've diversified to e-commerce. So I think they had a big auto enthusiast, so they just turned that into an auto platform. So I, I heard from a recent book I read, if you affect millions, you will make millions. So publishers still have a lot of power. If they're affecting millions, it's just about how to, to leverage that. And especially even we have a lot of maybe niche publishers here that serve an older demographic, maybe over 65 and things like that. And it, it's just what they're doing now. And you get a lot of inspiration from these kind of guys is, is running kind of events, running kind of like a travel agency from that. You know, so it's all about the power of, of having an audience. I think what some publishers are going down the, the route of having a, having a paywall. I think paywalls are interesting. I think they can be very successful from... The New York Times have three million online yeah. subscribers, which is absolutely massive. But if you're a smaller publisher, and like the example I said earlier about that cyclist accident that I wanted to look at the information, 
I've found that a lot of times if I'm looking at recently got into AFL, if I'm looking for an Irish AFL player down in Melbourne and I just look at something, but it's, it's, there's a lot of paywalls and I can't see the information. And I, I'm more in favor of having that, that information being free. I'm not a massive fan of, of the paywalls, but again, publishers have to survive. And maybe what, what's going to happen in the next few years is what we're going to do, what I, I'll be doing is paying for content. Like I, I maybe say I don't pay for any content any, at the moment, but maybe I would if I'm really interested in a, a certain kind of area. Yeah. So I've gone off on another tangent. I can't remember your question. <laughs> no, no I, I, we were speaking about more about the, the overall set of play, so that's that's all good. Um, I guess. Do you know much more? Any have you? Do you know much more about the takeaways from that PwC report or insights from that? Or yeah, I, I was actually looking at that. That report, I think, especially if you're a small, medium-sized publisher. Yeah. So for small publishers out there, uh, what do you define as a small publisher? And like providing those clients advice around, you know, you have to invest in content and, and budgets and stuff. Do you potentially give them that advice? And do, yeah, I mean, for a small publisher, what's your definition and what kind of ranges do you usually tell them? Just for those people who might be interested in knowing. Yeah, I think any publishers we work with, we probably have a minimum threshold of 500,000 page impressions a month up to, you know, a, a small publisher could be, have 50, 100 million page views a month, but they, I know some specific publishers that have a small team of, of less than 10, or they might just be working themselves and a couple of outsourced developers but they've got that scale and they've got that global audience so that's what i define maybe as a small medium-sized publisher publishers that probably just don't have the expertise internally themselves and what we found with growing business as well as the when you talk to, to larger corporations is it's amazing to see that a lot of these larger businesses still probably don't have the technology and the, the resources internally to avail of the, the latest tech available. And I think that's what's been really satisfying for us as a business is we, we're a Google partner and we get access to, to beta products. So we give the smaller, medium-sized publishers access to these beta products before the big guys because it's probably too hard to implement stuff at a higher level because you've got so many different layers to change management technology. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's been pretty successful. Yeah. So um I guess with with those publishers, I guess let's let's get straight into the practical. I guess let's just give some of our small publishers who are listening yeah. some really good takeaways. So what's some of your top tips when when they're trying to increase ad revenue, what, what are some of the main things you look at? Or what are some of the, let's start off with actually, what are some of the common symptoms or problems you find when people come to you and say, I need to increase my ad revenue? Yeah, um, suppose, yeah, you touched on it earlier, a drop in, in CPM over the last couple of years. Other publishers have, it's just such a complex ecosystem. They don't know where to turn. Should I implement header bidding? Should I go with this network? Should I go with that network? Should I hire a direct salesperson? You know, it, they just don't know where, where to kind of turn. And I think what 
I've always said about our businesses that we're partner agnostic. I don't care where the money comes from Google, AppNexus, Index Exchange, Rubicon, anywhere. I just want the most money possible for, for a publisher. And that gets a bit tricky when we're a Google partner as well. And we're, we've got really good relationships with other SSPs and we're always trying to trial new technology, but that's always the focus for the publisher. I think another thing that in the last couple of years, especially maybe the last two years, is brand safety. Yeah. And publishers, especially a lot of publishers we work, really want to deliver a good user experience to their audience. And having a good user experience means delivering good quality ads not the celebrity ads you may have seen over the last couple of years, I think especially specific to Australia over the last six months, there's been a lot of celebrities that have been endorsing products that they didn't know anything about. And it's amazing. And we've had so many discussions with Google and other partners about how these ads are creeping through. And it's when these guys are... What do they, what do they say? Sorry to cut you off, but what do, what do they say? Like Because obviously like a lot of it would come from the major partners, but what did they say when, when you asked them that? I was over in New York at Google and I was talking to the the policy guru over, over there and it was something that we're, they were looking into and they dedicated a lot of resources and engineering to it but couldn't find still having issues, still having issues and it just goes to show how good hackers are yeah. and they can go through the ecosystem. And I don't doubt Google are spending a lot of money on it. You know, a lot of, lot of money on it, but still there's ads that slip through the cracks. But I suppose that goes with the territory when you consider how big AdWords is and, excuse me, how it's available to any mamas and papas who want to advertise. It's also available to any hackers that will go, go around that. But yeah, I still find it incredible to see how much that, that happens. Maybe another, another thing that, that, that publishers come a kind of problem area is drops in traffic. Um, that's a general kind of issue. And a drop in traffic means dropping in ad revenue. And another thing as well is just programmatic is, is meant to kind of help people. But a lot of publishers have seen their businesses diminish because they've maybe had 20 or 30 people working in the business. And a lot of that advertising revenues come from directly booked IOs of $50, $60 CPMs. Right. But now a lot of my job is to educate publishers and go, look, you're going to have to trim the fat and focus on this is the, you may only get a 3 or $4 average CPM from programmatic. That's just the, the changing landscape. So a lot of that kind of stuff is, is education. How active are you involved with that? Or are you most, I know you're the co-founder and CEO, but are you still very much active in that education role? Or are you sort of, yeah, definitely. Sort of taking, taking a bit of a step back? Yeah, I, I think it, it's, hard, it's hard to manage at all. I think now as a business, we have to be really responsible because we've got people with like, looking for a mortgage and, you know, having kids and different stuff like that. So it's not, like that's one of the things over the last few years. It was fine when it was just myself, business partner, few kind of young guys, and and about this. But now it's a real business, so you you have to balance all that kind of stuff. So I probably have taken a step back and focus more on the business. 
but on saying that, I still kind of go into QBRs with, with clients, talk to maybe not on a daily basis of responding to emails and that kind of stuff, but I'm still involved in each process. We run a, a pub chat event every quarter, just that one last quarter in Sydney. I was very much involved in that, talking to publishers and educating them. I think we, we've hired a marketing person or a couple of marketing people over the last year that it, over the last year that is pushing out content and that content probably comes from from us and, and our research so it's still a kind of passion you know you still talk to publishers and have meetings with publishers and coffees and lunches with publishers that have had an increase in that revenue and that's what makes it all worthwhile for me it's not i mean i saw when you said about a publisher who was going to get a mortgage and how it sort of touched you. So I'm sure it's still, even that you were in that similar situation yeah, a while yeah. back as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess it makes it, you still want to still be in there, put some skin in the game. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And that's what it's all about. It's just kind of like we're just helping other people. I think I found out a long time ago, I'm not really motivated by money or anything like that. I'm probably motivated more by, by helping people out and like I've a lot of over this journey of the last five and a half years I've a lot of clients and publishers who are now good friends of mine so I've, I've, one of my best mates is one of the publishers I have third publisher I have ever so these kind of guys you you have a responsibility that you're making sure that you're running the business efficiently you're making sure you're finding out is there any new tech is there anything that should it's going to make make a difference. And that's the thing we, we, like I'm going to Tokyo next week, I'm going to Singapore in June for a conference, just going out there and talking to other publishers, other kind of publishing groups and that kind of stuff and figuring out what is going on in the market and then relaying that back. That's that's a big focus. How far do you think that Singapore and those markets are ahead of Australia at the moment? How Where, where do you think the balance of advancement is at the moment? I don't think so. No, that, definitely not in, in Asia. I think America is always probably the... Always leading the pack, I guess. Leading the pack. But it's interesting. I think Australia, when I first came over here, was a good way behind. But any stats we've seen from the, the likes of P&P adoption, programmatic deal adoption in Australia, it's very, very high. Video is very high here. And you find a lot of US companies, tech companies, use Australia as a testing ground to see if their technology is going to work because there's a highly sophisticated audience here. Mobile penetration is good. The internet is relatively good, even though the NBN hasn't been too successful. True. So I think Australia is not as far behind as we're led to maybe believe. Yeah. I think it's, it's it's a small market. Everything is probably still based on who you know rather than the technology to know. I think we've talked about this a bit off air as well. I think Australia is one country that is, hasn't gone through economic reform over the last 30 years. I don't think they've had a recession in 30 years, yes. which is absolutely crazy compared to Europe and the US. So in those kind of markets, I think advertisers probably have become a bit more sophisticated in their buying, whereas over here, advertisers have not gone through that maybe low turn. So they're, they're still, it's still gravy over here. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. 
Uh, Colin, so just quickly back on the problems and symptoms. Do you think there's anything else that you've we've missed out on, or are those pretty much the main ones that you've you've covered? So you said brand safety, just overall efficiency and performance, and uh, I believe I think people as well. Maybe we haven't talked yeah. on people. I think getting good quality, and this is where Australia is a bit of a factor here as well, is that in America or in Europe, there's probably more people in ad tech and more people of ability. I think over here, it's very hard to get quality people. And I think that's half the reason we've been successful as business. As myself and my business director, Tobin, who used to work at Google as well, yeah. we came over here with a bit of experience from Europe and America and were maybe a bit ahead of the game. Whereas here, I think there's just, if you look at, we've started to hire a bit more experienced people this year and it's just astronomical the wages in, in ad tech here because you just can't get quality people. So it makes business sense for a lot of publishers to outsource this kind of stuff because hiring the expertise is just not, not here. And it's probably an impartial advice like publishing is a lonely enough place, especially if you're a small publisher. Like the, I would say there's two varieties of publishers, really. There's publishers that have a long history, and by long I may mean possibly 10 years history of being a publishing business and have grown, grown exponentially and hired a sales team, produced more content, maybe got into video, that kind of stuff the likes of maybe junkie media, these kind of guys who have been very successful, Concrete Playground, these kind of guys. And they that business is is pretty tough because you've just got so much expense. You've got a lot of lot of expense for, for, for those kind of guys. So they have to make more and more money. But then you've got another style of publisher, which is a publisher that is maybe was a programmer or a tech entrepreneur or a lot of our publishers have been working in the corporate world and have a passion, a passion for, for travel. One of my favorite publishers we have is Australian Frequent Flyer and was working in a corporate environment and loved traveling, so created this, this business. So those kind of guys have never had massive direct sales, so I've never had massive direct overheads so these guys are a bit different to the the, the mainstream type, type of publishers so these guys can afford to maybe build a lifestyle business and have themselves running it maybe have a couple of developers maybe have a couple of outsourced content subscribers or something like that but they're they're by no ways gonna hire an ad ops person and pay 150k a year for, for someone in adults. But the other style of publisher is going to need maybe someone in-house to do that, to work with agencies and always be looking at new revenue angles. So let's let's go into that people side first as, as how we're going to resolve sort of some of the revenue issues. So yeah. looking at those two sides, how do you top level, not to go to granular, or let's go to the top level with some of the recommendations and then you can choose one of the clients that we've probably help resolve one of those main ones. So what's the way through people you've been able to resolve some of the um, ad revenue issues? 
So have you directly, you know, for like a small publisher who doesn't have that direct sale channel, have you suggested to them, for example, maybe you need to get someone on board or or, or on the other side, maybe saying that maybe we need to, with the lack of people, maybe we have to supplement tech to do that? Or, I mean, how have you addressed the people part throughout operations? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. I think that's one of the things that we as a business, we've evolved. We were a consultancy business at the start. So basically, I would go in and give advice to publishers on how to implement their ad stack. Since that, we realized that we couldn't scale the business without having our own tech. We built our own tech, and that has really revolutionized our, our, our business. And probably 70% of our revenue comes from that, that tech platform now. But what we maybe made a mistake about a year ago is that we still need to service those publishers and clients and give them really good customer service. So, for example, uh, a publisher that, that we brought on board and, and delivered our, our, gave our tech to and saw an inst- instant increase in, in ad revenue, but still we needed to be there to give them advice on, for instance, this one publisher I'm thinking about had direct ad revenue and had never, never had, not have a programmatic strategy. But with the help of us, we got them to, to do both, to get the direct ad, ad revenue competing with programmatic. And that had a massive increase in the business. I think this, this person's business was getting 100% of their revenue from, no, uh, 50% of the revenue through the direct channel, and the other 50% was coming through subscriptions. But now what we've done is increase programmatic revenue. So I think programmatic revenue is now taking up 20% of their overall revenue, but still not having a decrease in their directly book campaigns. And it was just a lack of education about knowing how to do that, the setup for prices, enabling Google products like DoubleClick First Look, which really helps direct campaigns compete with that programmatic. And the ability of this person, if they have a campaign from Telstra or something like that, and they, they don't want Telstra to appear in the programmatic channels. We place a $30 floor price on Telstra. So just those small little things can have a massive difference on a publisher's revenue and business. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a really good point. How about um, from a channel efficiency point of view? So what are some of the tips or tactical wins that you've been able to help with other publishers and both sides, the, the sort of the solo guy and, and from a bigger bigger side. Yeah. How, what have you guys done to help? Yeah, them? sure. I think a lot of the work we do is ad layout. So this is a, a really low-hanging fruit for, for publishers as well. And I think there's a few different things we use. I think agencies are now buying a lot more of high viewability impressions. So high viewability of over 70% is really what publisher advertisers are looking for. And you'll have a lot of advertisers that will not buy any impressions that go below 70%. So that's been a big thing we focused on over the last few years. And we've done that by introducing lazy loaded ad units. So these ad units will only load when a user can see the content. So this raises viewability. So if a user doesn't scroll down to the end of a the page, they won't see an ad unit at the end of the page, so that won't trigger the ad unit uh, to be seen. 
Another thing we, we do is sticky ad units, which have been pretty successful. So a sticky ad unit is basically an ad unit that will follow you from, if you open a, a web page in a content article site, you will view your content, but the ad will follow you all, all the way on the right-hand side or on the top as well. So these ad units have been pretty successful to, to increase viewability. And I think another one is multi-size creative. So there's now a lot of different creatives. So for example, a standard creative that you have is a 300 by 250 ad unit. Yeah. So just having the ability to have a 300 by 600 or a 160 by 600 in that same ad unit, it does add a lot more to, to revenue. And I think even our team does a lot of work with different partners and different teams, Google team, different SSP teams, and just see what new ad units are coming out in the market, maybe a billboard ad unit, and making sure the publisher is able to serve those ads and demand is coming in in, in different kind of ways. So I think ad layout is a, is a massive area. And another one we've worked a lot on is ad unit refresh. So depending on user engagement on a certain site, so if you have a user get high user engagement, you've got a website, especially maybe a gaming website or something like that, where a user is maybe on a certain page for 20, 30 minutes or a weather site or something like that, they're on the same page for a long time, we can toggle ad unit refreshes. This can can add a lot more revenue as well. So I think having to play around with, with ad units is, is a really good, good way. I think we touched on it earlier as well. I think header bidding has really revolutionized the industry over the last couple of years. So when we originally first first started, we were working, we had the same ethos of being partner agnostic, but we worked with a lot of different partners. And what we spent most of our week was in Excel sheets, figuring out what price Rubicon were willing to pay that week on a certain ad unit. And we would manually insert these prices into Google DFP, the ad server, to compete with Google. So without going too complex, this was a very manual process. And it basically, when a user visited a website, they would pay a CPM based on what we had put true in that manual reporting. So if Rubicon were delivering an average true eCPM, we would say of $1 last week, they could have been reported to be showing a $2 CPM rate in their own platform, but they maybe had a 50% fill rate. So we would put $1 in Google. So Google would compete at $1. So Google would pay $1 on one cent using the second price auction system. But it was flawed because oftentimes could be seasonality, it could be any different factors that Rubicon's fill rate would drop to 20%. Or maybe Rubicon's fill rate could be 70%. And you lost out either way, and you had a lot of unfilled impressions. And these unfilled impressions were not useful to the publisher whatsoever. So with the influx of, of header bidding, and header bidding in the simplest form basically allows one of these networks like Rubicon, Pubmatic, these kind of guys, to load in the header of a web page and send the CPM that they're going to contract directly to Google. Yeah. So it's an automated bid that Google competes against. 
so using that example from before, if uh, Rubicon had a really high advertiser and they're willing to pay three dollars, yep. well then that three dollars would compete at Google. So Google could compete and actually beat that bid. And the beauty of that is that there was no one filled impressions. Excuse me, no loss in impressions. So I think we implemented our first header bidding account, I think over two years ago now. And we've just seen a massive increase in, in ad revenue from that. So I think that's been the biggest transformation in the ecosystem and the how we compete Google against the, the rest. And Google have they've responded by what we talked about earlier was, was changing to first price auction mechanism. And also they've introduced their own competition to header bidding called exchange bidding. And exchange bidding is basically allowing specified partners like Rubicon, Pubmatic, Index Exchange, and a couple of more to compete in Google's ecosystem. And that has a lot of advantages as well. And we've seen massive increases in publisher ad revenue from implementing these two strategies. I think it's, I don't know what, what percentage, I think the wrote down percentage somewhere else, but I think it's about 40% year on year in one of these. Right. Two strategies that I've kind of done. Um, is it is it for solo publishers to put, implement themselves, or like it's, it's it's pretty hard to implement. So I'll tell you a few different strategies and how you can implement it. So there is header bidding is very complex. Without going into too much detail, what you basically have to do is set up a line item at each different price point for every different network. So our header bidding setup is 300 different line items for each different network. Uh, yeah. And we did this manually at the start. So when you have about 10 networks in there, you have to set up a price point of between zero and $1. And you have to set up, like depending on the price points you set up, so two cent incremental price. And you, you want to be getting the, the best value. So it depends on how granular you go. Ours is just 300 per per network. So it's, it's pretty complex to, to, to implement. So you can either implement it yourself, but I always say to people, what you need to have is you need someone that knows add-ups inside out. And you also need a really good developer. And we've seen, and we've got a lot of publishers that have tried to do it themselves and not been able to do it successfully because we just have so much experience because we failed a few times doing it as well and now built our own wrapper and built our own tag management system that allows us to configure we our dev team have built api access so we can just set up header bidding with the flipping switch and press of a button because we just set up the line items for each publisher and they get direct access to the, the networks that we, we've set up so you can do it yourself or you can maybe use a a wrapper technology and there's some commercial wrapper technologies like Podmatic, Index Exchange, and these kind of guys have, the, have their own wrappers. And yeah, I think that's the our get a partner like us to, to, to implement the free. Sure. So it's it's it is complex, but you really need to know what what you're doing because you've got a lot of header bidding setups that are probably not not optimal as well. And I forgot to mention there's there's consortium called Prebit. So these are a consortium originally started by Rubicon and AppNexus. 
um, Podmatic are, are part of the consortium. So it's a it's a non for profit consortium, but it was basically a group of these networks that piled together. In, I suppose against Google in, in, in lots of ways, but they set up an open source system of how you set up header bidding. And that's the platform we are on. So we we work with, with pre-bid and we work with making sure we have the latest version of, of pre-bid adapter. So a lot of networks that come on board will verify for pre-bid. So if we're taking on some new ones, maybe I think this week we just on a little bit sovereign, I think a couple of weeks ago, yeah. we're always uploading new kind of networks, but they always have, it, it's really good because it's created a standard because people have to adhere to certain criteria and guidelines to, to be, be in pre-bid. I think the with the commercial kind of wrappers, what we've noticed with them is it can be very good for a publisher just to implement because the commercial wrapper the, the team will implement it for them so they don't have to go through all the dev cycles and things like that. But I prefer to probably do something open source because with these wrappers, they are plugging in maybe a lot of data points and that can speed is a big issue with, with header bidding. And I think speed is the, the most important thing that we've looked at is timeout speeds, for instance. I think on average, we have a thousand millisecond timeout speed for our header bidding integration and so um, and that's that's very important to make sure that the, the speed of a publisher user you all go back to user experience for a publisher also so, yeah just quickly on the brand protection side what are some tips you could give for people who can better manage that yeah i think it's very important first of all maybe to talk about traffic and traffic source sure i think that's publisher really needs to make sure they know where the traffic source is coming from because that's the biggest thing that Google will, will stop serving ads to you about. If your traffic sources are not coming from a good reputable place, so if you have been using someone to deliver AdWords campaigns for you and, and they've got some pixels on your site, you may, you, it might have happened maybe three or four years ago or 10 years ago, but they still have those uh, pixels on your site or something like that have come across that in the past. So it's very important to keep your site clean and make sure you know where your, your traffic is coming from. I think all the advice I give to publishers, if we have a publisher and I can see they've been using pop-up ads or scammy ads or some, that kind of stuff. Like, we, How would they find those pop-up scammy ads? Like, yeah. Well, they're just being sold by a network. Right. You know, there's a lot of networks. Like, that's the thing. Publishers get contacted every day by, well, every week anyway, by yeah, by emails, bombarded by emails of, of networks saying, "Oh, we can make you five dollar CPM, we can make you ten dollar CPM," and next thing they know, if I'm a publisher and look for money, maybe I'll try something out. And that's a lot of the work we do because publishers just say, "Oh, we heard about this network," and we'll say, "No, they're crap. Don't work with them." And um, or these guys are good. Yeah, we can run a test, or these guys look like potential. So you've got a lot of networks or people trying to make a quick buck by doing that and they'll have number one scammy ads and pop-ups or different kind of things. And this can have a big effect on your quality quality score from an SEO perspective as well. So yeah. it's very important to know who what partners you have and what what networks you have. So I think that area of brand safety and I think I think in fairness to the big guys as well. Google and Apple over the last couple of years, Google have 
the Coalition for Better Ads, and they're not accept they're only accepting a certain type of ad units on yeah, the as Chrome as well. As at TAC has been great, and even on uh, I think Safari are doing, doing something as yeah. well in, in there. So I think the the age of bad publishers like that is it, it's getting harder and harder to do do those kind of things. So I think that's the general advice of publishers, make sure traffic is good, don't engage with any scammy maybe networks or perceived kind of scammy. I think as well as that, even there's a lot of companies out there that maybe do some, some other kind of ad units. I'm a big believer in having a really good user experience. And I think even I've been a football fan and I've always looked at the BBC and I, I can't believe over the BBC football over the last year that they have a scroller, a video interstitial scroller. Right. So when you when you view uh, an article, you'll see a video ad unit pop up. And I, I just find that remarkable for a publisher of that ethos and that size to, to do those kind of things. So I would, maybe that's not totally from a, a brand safety point of view, but I think that having an ethos like that you're 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 creating content that you want a user like i've always had the ethos of a user must be getting good content but they must be getting a good ad experience as well so like i think retargeting is great if i'm looking for a flight to new zealand and i get a retargeting ad from air new zealand and say oh yeah I forgot to book, book that flight or I'm going to New Zealand. Tell me what's going on in Auckland that week that I'm there. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer of all that kind of really good and rich user experience. And that's what we're trying to do with the business as well. I guess uh, just on a final note, I'd like to just touch up on 2019 plans for PubLift and also want to come back to Colin back in the beginning and advice you give. So let's just touch upon moving, looking forward. So what were some of the plans this year for you guys? Yeah, I think we're we're really focused on on product. I think we've discussed it earlier. I think mobile is a massive growth area. And I think the product by Google AMP accelerated mobile pages is something that we're we're testing at the moment. And I think we've, we've tried some tests on a couple of publishers this quarter. So that's pretty exciting from a product point of view. The dashboard improvements, the the way publishers see their their ad revenue. We're getting more automated reporting. We're having a redesign of the, the whole ecosystem as well. And this is all drawn from, from feedback from a publisher. As a Google partner, we get a survey every year and it's a really, really in-depth survey done by NetPop. And it gives us what we need to, to plan out and, and, and do for the year. So that's any secrets or anything that you can give us that you like feedback that they've given you in terms of reporting that they might you're working on at the moment? Yeah, just more more granular reporting and more stability in our reporting. So I think that's just, we're always looking to improve. I think personally, I've been that it's always improving. So we just want to deliver the best experience for, for the publisher. And that's a lot of the discussions we have. I think we have really good relationships with all our publishers. And I kind of said to them as well, they're on kind of journey with us as well. You know, tell us what more that you, that you want. You know, tell us what, They've seen revenue increases, but they've seen maybe services increases and what works well for them. And it's 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 that kind of ethos and philosophy that we, that we try and do. 
So we're always looking at, at new features from from a product point of view. And I think another thing we're really focusing on is, is people. I think this year we're, we've hired a couple of new experienced people. We've always ran the business from the start. It's, it's been a bit, uh, as a startup, you have limited budgets and we've hired a lot of graduates and they've been really successful. But now on the team, we've hired a, a head of technology this year. We've hired an operations manager this year. We're just recruiting a couple more in the customer service team with a bit more experience. So I think that's where what we we need to do as well. It's kind of just have that more high level experience of from different industries come in, in in the industry, but different kind of outlooks. And that's growing us as a team and it's growing our publishers and giving them different perspectives. So it's not going to change the team structure in any way. So like maybe specialized pods or something, or just pretty much a small breadth across yeah, I think it, I think it's a growth. You kind of have to get more procedures in place and more processes in place. So that's probably that. But we're we want to kind of have champions within the kind of team as well, the customer service team. So one person is maybe a mobile champion, another kind of speed champion, and things like that. So um, hiring is definitely a, a big focus area for for us at the moment. But it's it's just great that we're able to to, to hire those kind of people now. And I think another thing that we're really focusing on as well is education. We spoke about it with earlier with, with all of our publishers. I think that's one of the, the, the greatest things we do is educate publishers on what's going on in the market. We've invested a lot in our blog. You should check out our blog. It's really, really I have good. seen it, folks. I'm going to be contributing on it soon. So. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And so it's it's really beneficial. And we've actually I've talked to a few people in the industry that have said, They've sent out our blogs to people that they're training within the team. So bigger publishers have said, oh, well, this is how PMPs work. This is how first price auction is going to uh, affect publishers going forward. Nice. So that's great to see. And I think we're still, I mentioned PubChat earlier. So <clears throat> this is an initiative that we run, I think, every quarter now. So we're going to have one in Melbourne next month. And it's basically getting a bunch of publishers in the pub, having a beer, having a chat. So a lot of what we've done there is talking about GDPR, talking about a big area of focus last on the last one was uh, having a paywall, the advantages, disadvantages of having a paywall, and publishers just, as they said, it can be a lonely place being a publisher. So they just love talking to other publishers about what's going on in the market, what's going on in the, in the ecosystem. And I think just figuring out what's going on elsewhere, I think, we touched on it earlier about social and where that is all going. Social is a really interesting one, and it's, it's something that we have to maybe be saying to our publishers, well, how, how are you going to diversify your revenue over the next year or two years? Okay, display advertising is growing, and I think display advertising is still growing in Australia, but what's the new area of development? For instance, Alexa, Google Home, podcasting. Exactly. That's maybe why you're getting into it so much, right? But podcasting is becoming massive now. If you look at the influencers in society now, the likes of Joe Rogan, these kind of guys, you know, these these are the the undercut of like maybe journalism. Maybe this is new age journalism as well. And that's the kind of stuff that you, you want to relate to the smaller kind of publishers, the streaming video on demand. Maybe there's something that we can come up with to have a publisher group to have and act that people can stream certain types of content. So yeah, I think 
education, people, and product are the, the main probably focus this year. Absolutely. What's one single advice you'd give yourself when you're look, looking at yourself back when you first started? What's the one single key advice you give yourself? Enjoy it more. Probably. Enjoy yeah, it. Sometimes you get too much in the grind and you sort of like, oh, like sort of. Yeah, it's even now if you take a step back and realize what you've kind of built over the last five years, like anyone. When I go home and things like that, people say, oh, wow, I like, can't believe you've kind of done that. And you just go, yeah, it's actually okay. But when you're in the, the middle of it, you, you're always seeing the worst things. You always see, oh, there's a client not happy. There's a team member not happy. Oh, we're not hitting this target or we're not. Like, and it's, I think it's, it, a lot of people say that it's all about the journey. But I think from a young age as well, I think it's interesting starting off my career basically in, in Google as well. But absolutely incredible it was really really great but i probably got caught up too much in the competition of earning promotions rather than enjoying it like i moved over to america i was living in san francisco i was maybe more worried about getting the next promotion than i was about going out learning about the industry ecosystem and that kind of stuff i think people maybe focus too much on, on later plans without really really enjoying what they have yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of that myself but yeah like like it's, it's always good to speak to people like you and keep grounded so thanks so much for your time Colin. no problem it's very enjoyable thank you thank you for joining us on this episode of the state of digital publishing podcast listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks follow us on facebook twitter and join our community groups Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.